I'm ready to go. It's a lot to think about, a heart of service and the difference that it can make. You know, actually, that's a good segue into one highlight I want to make this weekend. I want to give a shout out to one of the great leaders of Grace Fellowship. Just this past Thursday, Kim Zaranda completed 20 years of leadership on our staff. She is our longest tenured staff person. And she, uh, for those of you who may not know Kim, and I realize that many of you at uh, our different congregations may not know who she is, but from the very first year of Grace's life, she has been an architect of the Kids Celebration Ministry. Everybody who knows Kim knows her passion for God, her commitment to the gospel and the Lord's kingdom. She is just a a great mom, a a great wife, now a great grandmother, a great friend to so many. And again, the thing that we appreciate so much on the staff team is she's a great servant leader. So, Kim, let me just say to you, we love you. We appreciate you so much and all that you bring to this amazing church that God is building. And and I hope that God gives you another 20 years uh, with us. God bless you for all you're doing at Half Moon and how your life ripples out and impacts every one of us at Grace. All of you at all of our locations, could you join together, please? Let's give Kim an amazing hand of appreciation. God bless you, Kim Zaranda. You're awesome. Good job. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Well, it was just a week ago, Luke Summers had been in captivity at that point for just about 14 months. And it was believed that his life was in imminent danger. And so just a week ago, Saturday, December 6th, the president authorized a band of highly trained commandos to go on a rescue mission, a ransom attempt. They landed near their location where they wanted to be. It was rough terrain there in Yemen. They made their way stealthily and quickly toward the place where not only was Luke Summers being held, but another hostage, a South African uh, hostage as well, named Pierre Corky, was being held there. But something, they don't know exactly, maybe a barking dog, alerted the militants to what was happening, and a firefight broke out. And somewhere in the midst of the firefight, one of the captors went in and shot both of these hostages, and they were both mortally wounded. And this mission resulted in the rescue of their bodies, but they did not get out alive. President Barack Obama, in uh, commenting on this, told the nation to expect more such uh, efforts of, of rescue. And I quote now, As this and previous hostage rescue operations demonstrate, the United States will spare no effort 
to use all of its military, intelligence, and diplomatic capabilities to bring Americans home safely wherever they are located. And of course, our prayers are with the families of these heroes, and uh, I would urge you to continue to pray for them as they go through the process of grief. This is obviously a very sad thing for all Americans, a rescue, a ransom attempt that went bad. But I want to talk to you today about a much happier rescue mission. Today I want to talk to you about one that was not only effective, but it continues to be effective. It is highly, highly successful. We're in a series right now called Why Jesus Came. And what we're doing this Christmas season is looking at some of the purpose statements Jesus made. Out of his own mouth, why did he come? And we're examining those. And the one we come to today is the third in this series. And here's what Jesus said from his own mouth about why he came that very first Christmas. He referred to himself often as the Son of Man. That's a rich title. There's a lot behind that. Son of Man is a phrase of humility in that culture. It was a term that he gave himself that was really just drenched with humility. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, folks, today, many people who think about Jesus Christ think that he was a provocative philosopher or a benevolent social worker, but that's all he was. Well, Jesus certainly went around doing good and helping hurting people, that's for sure. And he certainly taught in a provocative and effective way and challenged people to think out of the boundaries. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to ransom humankind. And I say to you today that we will never comprehend the cradle of Christmas without the cross of Calvary. Jesus came not just to be placed in a manger after his birth, not just to be here in a miraculous way in his birth experience, but he came to actually pay a sacrifice that none of us could have ever paid for our own ransom. Jesus came on a rescue mission to save us because we were in a plight, held hostage, without hope. So I want to unpack that for you today and what that means. I invite you to go on this journey with me. If you want to take some notes, jot some things down, let's talk today about this third purpose statement of Jesus. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's dive into that. First thing I want you to see is that we were enslaved by sin. Now, that's the reason Jesus came in the first place. Adam and Eve were promised freedom by the serpent. 
the serpent came and tempted Eve and said, look, if you'll just eat of this fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God. You, by implication, he's saying you're not going to have all these boundaries, all these shackles on you. You're going to be truly free to live the life you want to live. But what happened is that they got just the opposite of what they had been promised. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, instead of freedom, they immediately became slaves to sin. They were alienated not only from God, they began to be alienated from one another. They were alienated from their own self and they had alienation from their environment as well. And the implications of that still ripple on today. Sin still holds people in bondage. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A kidnapper might lure a little child into a car uh, with the promise of a, a free ride somewhere or something like that. But in reality, he has bondage in mind. And sin promises a lot to people, but it delivers just the opposite. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom, note those words, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now let me ask you, do you know people who are enslaved today? Do you know folks who are enslaved to substances? Maybe they just can't stop drinking alcohol. It dominates their life. It's on their mind every day. They can't go a day without drinking and it's beginning to really impact their relationships and negatively impact their performance at work and basically wreck their life. Do you know people who are addicted to illegal drugs or maybe, maybe prescription medications? I know a number of people whose lives have been totally debilitated because of these things. They're, they're literally in slavery, in bondage to these things. But you know, there are other things we don't think about quite so much. Some people are obsessive shoppers, really. Uh, they, just, they just can't stop buying things. They just got to be in the mall. They've got to keep looking for stuff. And they just compulsively buy things, things they don't really need at all. Or people get addicted to things like gambling or lying or stealing. And then there are things that are even more uh, kind of pernicious than that. We can get addicted to ego gratification. We can get addicted to pride. We can get addicted to power. In fact, in this very passage uh, where we read Jesus' purpose statement, if you read the verses that come before it, you'll see that James and John, two of his 
apostles, two of his disciples, the, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with a peculiar request. They said, Lord, when you come into your glory, when you really are top dog and it's clear to everyone that you're the head of your kingdom, hey, look, um, Jesus, could we be kind of at your right hand and your left hand in your glory? And Jesus must have been so disappointed by that request because he'd been teaching them about what servant leadership looked like. He'd been teaching them about a new world order, the one he had come to bring. And he said, guys, look, we need a lesson. It's time to huddle up. And he taught them again, look, the Gentiles are the ones who are into that kind of authority They're obsessed with position and power, but it's not to be that way with you. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And then he said, look, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, sin had blinded them to this selfish ambition, this desire for power. Paul says of his own life in Romans chapter 7, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And so here's the reason Jesus came. He came because we were enslaved to sin. We needed to be ransomed. The number one movie of 2013 that received not only the award for the best picture, but a number of other awards was 12 Years a Slave. And uh, it's a brutal movie. it's, It's tough to watch, but it's based on the true story of Solomon Northrup, a man who lived in Saratoga Springs. And he had been tricked by two guys. He was a fabulous violin player. They called it a fiddle in the South. And he was tricked into going down to New York City, said, we can really use your services here, that we'll make a lot of money. And he was sold into slavery. For 12 years, for 12 years, true story, he lived in cruel, cruel bondage. Until finally, a man named Samuel Bass, a Canadian who was against slavery, was working for Mr. Epps as a carpenter. And he heard Solomon Northrop's story. He decided to help him, to do something to affect his ransom, his rescue from this bondage. And so he did. He wrote some letters. He told people. And when the word got to Henry Northrup, whose grandfather had freed Solomon Northrup's father from slavery, even at a time when slavery was still legal in New York State, when he got word, Solomon Northrup went down and brought about this ransom. He raised lots of money from friends, concerned people, paid a lot of his own money, and was able to ransom Solomon Northrup out of slavery. Jesus said, that's why I came, to rescue people from bondage. But it couldn't be affected by money. Silver and gold could not buy us back from this slavery to sin. No, we were held hostage and something more precious than that needed to be paid. 
And the price that needed to be paid was blood. There needed to be a blood payment for us to be ransomed. And all through the Old Testament, God had been teaching his people this lesson. That it requires blood for sin to be forgiven. For us to get free from the bondage to our sin. In fact, uh, all the way back in the book of Exodus, when his people were in bondage in Egypt, uh, for them to be spared from the death angel passing over, they were to put blood on the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel came by to take all of the firstborn, when he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the phrase, the Passover, came from, by the way. The death angel would pass over those who were covered, if you will, covered by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And so all through the Old Testament, God had been conditioning his people that sin requires a blood sacrifice in order to be forgiven. Almost, almost like Pavlov's dog, they were told over and over again, sin requires a sacrifice like this. Sin means death, sin means death. Blood has to be shed. And so when Jesus came, he was the once for all sacrifice for our sins. And he did that, friends, for you and for me. Isaiah predicted that the coming Messiah would shed his blood to ransom us from sin. Look at what Isaiah wrote about 700 years before Christ came. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is on the Messiah, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That's what Jesus did for us. He came into our situation to ransom us and set us free. A grandfather was uh, watching his little grandson in the playpen, and the little guy was raising his chubby little hands. He was screaming his head off, crying, and he raised his chubby little hands to his grandfather and said, out, Gramps, out. He wanted to get out of that playpen. And uh, the grandfather was about to lift him out, but... The child's mom, grandfather's daughter, said, no, dad, uh, he's in there. He's in a timeout right now. He's being disciplined. Please don't take him out. He needs to stay in there. And so he didn't take him out. But the big crocodile tears and the child's pleas just overwhelmed the grandfather. And finally, he crawled over the wall and got in the playpen with his grandson. That's love, that's compassion, that's caring, and that's what Jesus did at Christmas time 
for us. We were ransomed by Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus saw us trapped by our disobedience. He heard our cry for help. He didn't just come to feel our pain, but he came to ransom us from sin. The psalmist writes, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. In other words, no mere man could have ransomed us from sin. It took the blood of the perfect son of God to do it. And so when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, came along, when he first saw Jesus coming to initiate his public ministry, he said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to give his perfect life as a ransom for many. And just before he died, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and spending some time there with his heavenly Father, we read of him saying in John 12, verse 27, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And from that moment on, Jesus allowed himself to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He allowed himself to be crucified and to die for us. He said in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And every Easter, we talk about the passion of Christ, don't we? We talk about what he went through for us. We don't usually think about that around Christmas time, that Jesus died a brutal death on the cross. But I want to say to you again, brothers and sisters, we cannot comprehend the cradle of Christmas without the cross of Calvary. And the message I want you to hear today is he paid that heavy price for you and for me. Constantine Tischendorf was a 19th century historian, and he reports about an ancient letter that they found, an ancient letter from a Roman soldier that he had written to Pontius Pilate. And the soldier shared the story that he had been the one who escorted Mary up to the cross of Christ when her son was being crucified. And as he escorted her up, she looked at those three crosses, and according to the soldier, she turned to him and said, which one is he? He may have been beaten beyond recognition. He did all of that for you and for me. And when he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Tetelestai is the word. He didn't mean, I am finished. What he meant is that this mission that I came on, this ransom mission, is now complete. It is finished. The price has been paid in full. And so I ask you today, how does it make you feel 
to know that Jesus did all of that for you. I'm holding here Time Magazine. This happens to be the, the June 16th edition from this year. And on the front of this particular magazine is a soldier served in Afghanistan. His name is Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. And the question asked on the front of time is, was he worth it? And it's asking that because the ransom for Sergeant Bergdahl that the U.S. government paid was the Taliban Five, five of the most notorious members of the Taliban that were being held in prison at Guantanamo Bay, five of them given in exchange for Bergdahl's life. And the thing, the reason time is asking this question is, as the story unfolds, we see that Bergdahl had, by all accounts, had actually deserted and didn't think very highly of his country and had been extremely critical of the United States. And so he had actually gone AWOL, he had actually gone deserted from battle and gone over to the other side. And so it's asking the question, uh, was he worth it? Was he worth the ransom? You can have your own answer for that. But I want to change the question. Were you worth it? The price Jesus paid for you and for me, was I worth it? And Jesus says to you today, Yes, you were. A thousand times yes. And Jesus is saying to you today, in spite of this enormous price I paid, giving my very life, (coughs) shedding my very blood for you, if you were the only one who needed it, I would have died for you. That's how much Jesus loves you today. And I hope that as you understand that, maybe in a way you never have, that Christmas will be completely different (coughs) for you because you comprehend what this cradle was about and that it ultimately was designed to lead to a cross at Calvary. But there's just one final thing I want to highlight today. We've talked about our enslavement to sin, the ransom that Christ paid for us, but now I want you to see the fact that we are free to serve. We're free now to serve. Not free to serve sin any longer, but we're free to serve Christ and to serve others. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. The truth of the matter is today, friends, the truth is we're a slave either to the sin of this world or we're a slave to Jesus Christ. Sketch Erickson put it like this. Freedom is like a tree planted by the water. Uprooted, it is free only to die. To be really free, it has to remain attached to something life-giving. And you know what I've observed through the years? So many of you that I know personally, at all of our locations, I've noticed when you live your life as a Christian, you live in freedom. You live in freedom. Sin doesn't have its dread sway over you 
anymore like it once did, as the old song says. You're not sinless, but you're actually sinning less. You don't have total victory over sin, but you you are more sin-resistant than you used to be. And as you're moving and growing in your sanctification, here's what I've observed about so many people that are part of this church family. Jesus Christ is truly changing you from the inside out. And it can be said of you, you are free. Back in February of 1960, Adolf the III was kidnapped. And the kidnappers demanded a huge ransom for this man who was the owner of one of the largest breweries in America. But the negotiations broke down and they lost contact with his captors. And seven months later, Adolf Coors III's body was found on a remote hillside. He had been shot. This was devastating news to 15-year-old Adolf Coors IV. He not lost not only his dad, he lost his best friend. And he battled intense bitterness against Joseph Corbett, the man who was later arrested and found guilty of killing Adolf Coors III. But in 1975, Adolf Coors IV became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. Among other things, he divested himself of his interest in the family brewery. He began to live a very different life as Christ was changing him from the inside out. But by his own admission, he could not find release from the bitterness and resentment and hatred against Joseph Corbett, who had killed his beloved father. But as he tells his testimony and tells his story, he says, resentment seethed within me and blighted my growth in Christ, he said. And although he prayed for release, it seemed awfully hard to come. He kept feeling alienated from God and other people because of his hatred for Joseph Corbett. He writes, finally the day came when calling upon the Holy Spirit I did what I knew I had to do. He went to the maximum security unit at the prison that housed Joseph Corbett. But amazingly, Corbett refused to see him. So Coors left a Bible with this message, and I quote, I'm here to see you today, and I'm sorry we could not meet. As a Christian, I'm summoned by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to forgive you. And I do forgive you. And I ask you to forgive me for the hatred I have held in my heart for you. And later Coors confessed, I have a love now for that man that only Jesus Christ could have put in my heart. That's the kind of transformation. That's the kind of freedom that Jesus Christ brings into a life when he ransoms us from slavery and sets us free to love and to serve. And I simply ask you today, has that happened to you? Someone has said that John 3.16 may be the greatest verse in all the Bible, in all the word of God. John 3.16, many of you know what it says. And I believe that tucked in John 3.16 is the essence of the gospel. 
for God, the greatest being, so the greatest degree, loved the greatest emotion, the world the greatest extent that he gave the greatest expression, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him, the greatest simplicity, might not perish, the greatest promise, but shall have the greatest assurance, everlasting life, the greatest reward. Jesus came on a rescue mission. We were enslaved in sin. He came to ransom us and he came to set us free to love and to serve. And I simply ask you today, has that happened to you? Father, I ask that you today would draw people to yourself. I pray that you would do what you alone can do, that by your spirit, by your spirit, you would remove the scales from blinded eyes. You would show people who've maybe not understood or comprehended what this rescue attempt was all about. You would show them the enormous love you have for them. And most of all, I pray that you would convince them right now that they were worth it. They were worth every drop of blood that you shed. And I pray that that kind of love, that kind of kindness, and that kind of offer of forgiveness would be overwhelming and they could not resist. May that be true of everyone hearing the sound of my voice right now. Lord, would you have your way in our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship for a few more minutes together this evening, I'm going to invite our ushers to come now and receive our tithes and offerings. What an amazing season this is as we're reminded afresh and anew of what this season is really all about. God bless you.